Today we have the fabulous Chris Bishop from the National Party as we continue our election special in the lead up to this year's elections. Welcome to Property Matters. Kia ora and welcome to Property Matters. I'm Stephen Dello. Delighted to have you joining us for another Monday here on Planet FM. And a big welcome to those listening to our podcast, which you can find on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple and Samsung Podcasts, or pretty much wherever you like to listen to your podcast. We're here. Take us with you when you're doing your walks and your fitness. Hopefully spring is just around the corner. What is just around the corner, of course, is our next election. And we reached out to all our political parties currently in Government and invited them on to chat housing, investment, new builds and the rental market for both landlords and tenants, plus to get to know them and their party's view and policies in place. Now we are an informal show so we also want to get to know the people behind the politics as well. As you know we had a brook on last week from the ACT Party and this week we have Chris Bishop from the National Party joining us. Welcome to the show, Chris. G'day, good to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, look, we really appreciate it. We know how busy you are and sitting around, it's a crazy time for you. Yep, busy old time. Keeping up with the pace. 60-something days to go. I don't know, I lose track. October 14th, it's not long. You count down to elections Well, everyone else is already panicking about Christmas and Christmas shopping. Yeah, I'm just waiting for the weather to improve. Yeah, yeah. Well, good luck with that. Well, we do appreciate it. Now, we do have some obviously housing-focused questions, but I'm really keen to get to know you as a person first because of the nature of our show. So you are the listing P in Hutt South. Is, is the Hut your home? The Hut is my home, yes. Born and raised there. Was the MP for Hutt South, hoping to be the MP for Hutt South again. Yep. I started life as a listing MP, won the seat in 2017, lost it in 2020 on the big red wave. We <laughs> lost seats all around the country. Uh, but, yeah, no, I was born and raised in, in central Lower Hutt, went to... Well, I did all my schooling in, in Lower Hutt, lived in Lower Hutt for all bar four years of my life. Brilliant. Uh, well, no, it's not quite true, but lived in Wellington, Lower Hutt for all bar a few years of my life. So talk us through your career journey, you know, where did this all journey start and at what point did you make that decision that politics is, is where you wanted to head? Yeah, my dad was a political journalist back in the eighties. He was sort of the uh, sort of Paddy Gower, just uh, <laughs> much of his uh, of his era in the in the nineteen eighties. So he, uh, I was born in eighty three, so I kind of grew up watching dad on TV. And mum was a, a lawyer, environmental lawyer, still is actually. Um, so I kind of grew up around politics, around the dinner table, and um, studied at university, um, studied law as well. Um, was always interested in current events and, and what was happening. Did a lot of debating. Uh, at school and then university, so always interested in the context of ideas and um, public policy. Uh, and yeah, did a law degree at Vic, um, arts degree at Vic, um, and started working for National when we were in opposition last time around, 2007. Worked for John Key and Jerry Brownlee. Uh, and then I worked for Jerry Brownlee um, when we were in government from 2008 to 11, and then Stephen Joyce um, for a year or so as well. And um, Put my hand up for the Hutt South seat in 2014. Kind of, to be honest, with no expectation I would make it in. Um, Lower Hutt was where I was born. It's my home. I'm really passionate about improving things for, for people in Lower Hutt, in, in the wider Hutt Valley. And came in on the list, um, second to last in for National. And I've kind of just you know worked my way up um, into the top echelon, I suppose you could say, since then. Um, and, yeah, I picked up housing portfolio a year or so ago. I've been the spokesperson for a variety of things over the time. I've been... Uh, police, I've been youth, I've been um, transport, um, now I'm infrastructure and housing and dream portfolios really because I see housing as one of the, the critical issues.
issues facing New Zealand mm. uh, and, you know, always re- been really interested in it and Lower Hutt's got a housing crisis. Uh, so, you know, it's a, um, I love the portfolio. Look, you only have to look in the media over the last few weeks to know how hard politics can be and be on individuals as mm. well. What is it that you love so much about it that's kept you in this game? I think it's a chance to make a difference. I know that sort of sounds like a cliche, but um, it really is. I mean, politicians have to be sort of jack of all trades. I was talking to somebody on the weekend actually and saying, you know, you're expected to, you know, I was doing some door knocking and you've got to go door knocking and go to public events and community events and then it's, you know, half an hour later you've got to give a speech in Parliament about, you know, some obscure issue or quite complex issue and then you've got to um, you know do a radio interview do media mm. interviews you've got to be on TV you've got to present well um, you've got to be across everything all at the same time and so I do love that about the job you know no, no day is the same um, everything is, is always different particularly around campaign time uh, but you get a chance to make a difference um, on a day to day level I'm in my office I've got two officers in the hut and we assist people and sometimes they're actually the most satisfying yeah. pieces of work is you know getting someone into housing for example which we do a lot um, or immigration and things like that but then you know at a wider macro level it's, it's a chance to change the direction of the country and you know, I do think the country's heading in the wrong direction. I think um, a lot of people would agree that we've got significant problems as a country, and I get a chance to change that. You know, very few people have that, you know, that, that privilege, mm. um, and, and I do. So, um, yeah, I, I see. You know, I love the job. You know, I wouldn't be in politics if I didn't love it. Yeah. Um, it is tough. It's definitely tough on families. Definitely tough on you, you, you individually as well. But I never complain about it too much, to be honest, because I chose it. Yeah, I was going to say, you, you, know, you sound like someone who knows what he signed up for. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. You know, I mean, I you know, kind of grew up around politics a little bit. Um, worked in Parliament before I became an MP. So, yeah, I, I never complain too much. Um, yeah, it's hard. But actually, it's a privilege, and um, every day I get to wake up and make a difference for, for the people of the Hutt Valley and the country, and I consider it an enormous honour to be an MP, and, and I'm very motivated to, to try and make every day count. Um, and I've been an MP now for nine years, um, never been a minister, uh, really keen to, to you know, change the country, change the government, um, and, and make a difference. Brilliant. Now, you mentioned housing several times there. So, look, over the last few years, the rental tenancy space has seen a lot of regulation changes, mm. some of the biggest being around healthy homes and removing the no-cause 90-day end-tenancy rule. Where does your party see this heading in the future? Do you propose further amendments in this space? Yeah, I think that, look, the current government's had a, a, a what I would classify as a war on mum and dad landlords, mm. um, and they don't really realise that or at least they don't seem to realise that uh, if you make life harder for landlords, that just flows through to tenants at the end of the day. So um, we've committed to four big changes to the residential tenancies regime and and the wider um, tenancy landscape, which I think will make a difference and add some balance back to the rental market. The first is bringing back interest deductibility for rental properties. Uh, That's backfired very badly on the government. You know, they were told it would put pressure on rents. They were told it would put pressure on the state house waiting list and they did it anyway and, um, you know, it's backfired. Rents are up 170 bucks a week on average. So we will bring back interest deductibility. That's very important. We'll also take the bright line test back down to two years. Labor never campaigned on extending it to 10 years. Um, so that's a broken promise. In fact, they explicitly said they wouldn't do it. Um, it's a capital gains tax, and you know, by stealth, um, so we'll take it back down to two years. Uh, thirdly, we will um, reinstate 90-day notices, um, so no-cause terminations. Um, now, I've got a bit of grief for that from people saying, oh, you know, this is going to lead to rental insecurity and things like that. But the reality is um, landlords don't kick out 
good tenants. No. What, what it does do is provide a backstop for the for the tenants that don't work out. And I've had a, a number of um, people who work with uh, vulnerable tenants, mm. homeless charities, for example, who've said to me, look, one thing you really could do to make it easier for some of our more vulnerable tenants to get into the rental property market is mm. bring back the 90-day rule because it will mean that landlords will take a chance on, yeah. on tenants. Um, so we're going to do that. And then the fourth thing we've committed to is this slightly niche but still important change around the mandatory rollover of fixed-term tenancies into periodic tenancies, which has caused chaos in a market like Queenstown, for example, where you've just seen landlords just exit the market because it's just too hard to do short-term tenancies. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, they just left the market, um, put their places on Airbnb, and now we've got people sleeping in tents in Queenstown. Well, you know, probably one in five homes are unoccupied. It's just crazy. Mm. Four very good changes there. And interesting, your 90-day one matches uh, what Brooke and I were chatting about last week from the Act Party because my focus of so many guests on the show has been property managers and people in their industry. And when they talk about the 90-day rule, the biggest thing for them is actually safety. They need the ability to safely get someone out without having to have all the neighbourly disputes and all the, the council cases and things. But Brooke and yourself have both raised the other side of that coin, the, coin, the vulnerable person who actually says, give me a chance, let me prove you've got the safety of getting me out in 90 days if I don't prove it, but I need a second chance. Yeah, it's like the 90-day um, trial periods you know, yeah. for, for, for yeah. employees. Um, I, I see that as the biggest benefit, benefit biggest benefit of it, um, and, that, mm. and that's why I want to do it. Um, I, I do I do see it as providing more options for, um, for tenants to get into the market. Um, the reality is... Uh, you know, people who've left prison, for example, people with bad credit histories, people mm. with bad debts, they, they struggle. Yeah. You know, they struggle. And, and even if, you know, landlords with the best will in the world wants to take a chance on someone, you know, at the end of the day, it's, you know, they've got to have a, a backstop there, which is what the 90-day mm. rule provides. So, yep, we're going to bring it back and um, we're committed to that. Brilliant. So where do you stand then on regulation of the industry and the property management space? Do you believe the rental space needs to be regulated and properties managed by licensed and qualified property managers? Yeah, government's got a discussion document out on that and sort of indicated that's where the direction they want to go. Look, we're, I don't have a fixed view on it. Um, we're, we're not a party that regulates for the sake of it. Um, you know, we want to reduce regulation in New Zealand, not add to more of it. Um, so I've got a, I don't have a fixed view on it. Um, kind of keen to see where the discussion goes. Um, we'll examine, you know, the proposals and, and see, see where it lands, but we're not making a commitment to do it. Okay. You're going to listen to the people working in that space? Yeah. Yeah. So when we think of our most vulnerable, where do you see National helping our most vulnerable who are struggling to get into their own home? Biggest thing is putting downward pressure on rents, right? So rents are up 170 bucks a week uh, on average around the country in the last six years. And in my place in Lower Hearts, just looking at the numbers this morning, $250 a week rental increases. Wow. Um, in the last six years, you know, I mean, that, that is a big driver of the cost of living, a big contributor to the, the cost of living crisis that we're having uh, at the moment. And so we need to build more houses. You know, the best thing we can do for for tenants um, is to get a house building bonanza uh, going around the country so that we put downward pressure on rents uh, and make sure that we can house um, house people in need. Um, you know, the, the people. a lot of people don't understand that the you know, the social housing waiting list, which is the list of people who are assessed by the government as an urgent and severe need of housing, uh, is 25, 24,000 families long. Um, and the reason it's so long is that rents are up so much. Mm. Um, so the way in which you get on the wait list is by rocking up to MSD and saying, I can't afford the private rental market. So the best thing we can do to get the wait list for social housing down is put downward pressure on rents. Um, and so that that is the best thing um, we can do. And then, of course... 
um, in terms of home ownership. You know, that's at record lows in New Zealand, now down to about 64%, um, very, very low. Uh, we need to do a much better job of getting people into homes, and that means making housing more affordable. You know, our houses are some of the most expensive in the developed world, even though they've come back a bit, or a lot actually, uh, from the highs of kind of mid-2021. Uh, they're still extremely expensive by international standards, and you know, it just shouldn't take someone nine times their average household income to buy a house in New Zealand. We're, we're not a country that's short mm-hmm. of land. We're plenty of land in New Zealand. Um, the, the issue is, is restrictive planning rules that have stopped our cities from growing, and so we're very focused on, on changing that. Now, we've seen in the media many stories around the struggles property managers and landlords have had moving on someone for antisocial behaviour. We've seen neighbours living in fear, not prepared to formally complain, or in the social housing sector, we've seen neighbours go months and months with major issues and nothing being done. Where does National plan to make improvements in the space in that sort of field? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, the first thing is that kind of aura, um, which is where a lot of the, you see some of these uh, issues playing out. They, they need to, you know, be a lot tougher on, on antisocial behaviour, frankly. You know, there's a widespread view out there that kind of aura is the you know, country's worst landlord. Um, and I think that's probably right. Um, and, if, and if you compare them to, say, a community housing provider, for example, um, you know, they typically are much less nimble, much less agile, provide much less pastoral care and sort of wraparound support. Um, you know, you think about the Salvation Army, for example, they've got a much higher or much much better tenancy manager to, to tenant um, ratio compared to, say, Kainal Aura, for example. So um, I'm a big backer of the community housing sector. I think they do an excellent job, um, you know, and we need, to, we need to supercharge them, and we'll have more to say about that uh, in due course. Um, but then, you know, we, as I say, we want to bring back those 90-day uh, notice periods to allow people to, to move on, um, you know, tenants who are behaving badly, um, and, you know, I think that's, that's important. So if you're looking at the social housing sector, and, and you're right, there's some fabulous providers out there, is it equipping them with just money to better operate? Or, or again, when we look at regulation, do, do we need to be training them in a similar way to our private property managers? Yeah, I mean, we set up the, the modern sort of social housing, um, community housing system, we, we set up basically national. So um, it used to be the case that uh, community housing providers couldn't get access to income-related rents, which is essentially the government's subsidy to make sure that people in social housing pay um, uh, rent-related to their income, and then the top-up um, comes from the government. It used to be that that, were only provided, that was only provided to KO, Kona Ora, and now it's provided to the community housing sector. We right. set it up. Current government's kept it going. And so that has created a... Um, quite a growth in the community housing sector. Groups like the Salvation Army, Emerge, Dwell and Wellington, um, here in Auckland Court, for example. There's a whole range of them. Um, what they need is long-term certainty about funding, mm-hmm. and so we're up for that. Um, they also um, need capital and um, uh, to, to grow, um, and so we're looking at that as well. So I'm not going to announce our social housing policy here no, no, uh, no. on the show, but we'll have more to say about that. But what they mainly need is a government that backs them, and the government this government, the Labor government, has a very quixotic attitude towards the community housing sector. Megan Woods basically thinks Kyinga Aura should do everything, um, and I have the opposite view. My view is that I'd rather see growth of the community housing sector than Kyinga Aura. The reality is we need there's a role for both. We need mm. Kyinga Aura housing, um, there's a role for state housing, but there's also a role for community housing and social housing as well, um, and they provide different... Um, they provide a different... Uh, scale of, of um, tenancy management, for example, and, and different um, different characteristics and facets of, of, the, of what they provide. We, we need all of it. 
Where do you stand on the build to rent projects? Because, of course, you know, there are many people that are quite happy to be a lifelong renter, but it gives them some, you know, 10-year fixed-term security, that community feel. Mm. Where do you sit with that? Big supporter. We've made right. some announcements around that. So I've got a um, bill in before Parliament, which if we win the election, we will legislate for very quickly, um, called the Boost Build to Rent Bill. So the, the reality is there is quite a lot of offshore capital looking to invest in build to rent developments in New Zealand. Um, there's a couple of barriers to it. One is that the overseas investment office in the Act is quite restrictive of build to rent. So build to rent is treated differently to retirement villages um, and uh, student accommodation for example which is nuts like why is that why why if you if you if you're a foreign investor and you turn up and you want to build a retirement village <laughs> um you're treated you, the, the treatment you get is easier than someone who a foreign investor who wants to turn up and build, build a built to rent apartment mm. development well, that's nuts so we're going to equalize them so that's the first thing and then the second is there's a um treatment around um depreciation um within the Income Tax Act, uh, which, again, treats retirement villages differently to build-to-rent developments, so we're going to equalise them. Um, now, Megan Woods knows about all of these problems. She just hasn't acted in the last three years. It's intensely frustrating, so my bill will sort it out. And no, big, big backer of build-to-rent housing. I think it's got a role to play. It's, look, it's not going to completely dominate the rental market, um, but you, you think about what can... It fulfils a specific need again. But yeah. It's reducing the pool that's on the other properties. Totally. Yeah. Well, we just need more supply. We need more supply yep. across the board, right? We need more social housing. We need more private sector, ha- private sector rentals. We need more build-to-rent rentals. We need more private sector home, homes more generally. Um, we just need everything. We need all of the above. Um, there's no one silver bullet. And you think about what Kiwi Property is doing out at Sylvia Park, for example. Mm. Um, you know, high quality, high scale development. You yeah. know, they're really moving quickly. It's next to a train station. Got a shopping mall there. Um, it's going to be really good. And, um, you know, we welcome that. Everything that contributes towards supply is a good thing. Nice. Now, if we shift now to purchasing a home, whether mm. to live in or as an investment, and I guess the first area has to be looking at our first home buyers who are really struggling to get on the housing ladder, especially in our big cities like Auckland. Does your party have plans to improve the affordability or financing for someone wanting to purchase their first home? We've got plans to improve the affordability for sure. I mean, as I said before, you know, we have some of the most expensive houses in the developed world, and um, it doesn't have to be like that. Those are that is the result of conscious political decisions made over many years around stopping our cities from growing. So, in Auckland and Wellington, you know, the councils and supported in some cases by central government have actively stopped the cities from growing. So, um, we need to go out at the edge of our major cities, Auckland and Wellington. Um, we also need to go up, and it's not one or t'other. You know, sometimes people mm. say, "Oh, we just yeah. need more density. We need more more greenfields. We can't do greenfields. It's bad for the environment." Blah blah blah. Um, or you get people who go, I don't want any density whatsoever. We just need to do green fields and just constant urban sprawl and just the city just grow, 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 grow and take up all the farmland. Um, the answer is a bit of both. So we need what we need is competitive urban land markets. What we've done at the moment is drawn us ring around Auckland and said you can't grow beyond the ring. Um, and as a result, the um, average section price inside the urban limit is vastly inflated in comparison to the average section price outside um, the limit. Um, that is artificial. That, that, that value is just completely artificially generated and sad to say the council, current Auckland Council is doubling down on that at the moment through this future development strategy uh, which is all about all designed to essentially make it much harder to do more greenfields. We need more greenfields housing in Auckland. We also need more density uh, and you know we need um, apartments above train stations. We need mm. more townhouses. We need more terraced housing. Uh, but we also, you know, do need to 
build more um, suburban housing at the edge of Auckland. Mm. Uh, and we shouldn't be afraid about that. You know, we've got to get home ownership more affordable in New Zealand. If we look at the financial side, uh, we asked a couple of weeks ago for our listeners to send in questions. We're actually quite surprised at how many young listeners mm. wrote in. And Armani, who's in his early 20s, says, why is the deposit average 20%? Can the government force that this be lowered and fewer restrictions so the first home buyer can have more freedom from the banks and afford a home? Yeah. I mean, um, that's all set by the Reserve Bank, so it's a little bit outside central government. Um, control. Um, I mean, the, the number one thing we can do to help it help um, young people get into a depo- get a deposit together is reduce land prices, which are driving up um, house prices. Um, and so, I want um, housing to become more affordable over time um, by um, you know stopping the artificially inflated supply of land that drives up house prices um, and that will make a difference over time as well but there's, there's not a lot I can do about the, the sort of 20% deposit rules um, but we, we are very focused on making housing more affordable hmm. Dare I ask this question the swear word in the room what's your thoughts on Kiwi Build and that <laughs> journey and well, it's been a disaster hasn't it yeah, where would you take it under your leadership well it would be gone I mean it's a disaster it has never worked it never was going to work 100,000 homes they've built 2,000 I mean it's a joke isn't it I mean it's like a byword for incompetence it's like a lot of things this government kind of came to power saying they would do you know light rail is another example that was meant to be built by 2021 right and you know not a single metre of track has been laid down Simeon Brown's kids have built more um, train tracks than um, than, than Megan Woods and, and, and the Phil Twyford and the government um, when it comes to light rail. So it's another one of these kind of big, bold visions that's just never turned into reality and, and Kiwi Build's been a joke and we'll get rid of it. Okay. Sold, he says. Done. So another question we got in was from a young guy called Joseph. Now, this is a bit of a tough question and we, and we did put it to Brooke last week as well. People make the unfortunate decision to take their lives when they've lost hope. Do you think that financial tension, predominantly from high house prices, interest rates, rental issues, is having a direct correlation with depression and anxiety? Look, I'm not a clinical expert, um, so I, I don't want to speculate on the, you know, the, what the, the evidence shows. But all I can do is talk generally and say, you know, I suspect the answer is yes, right? Like if you're a young person in your twenties and your rent keeps going up and you're staring at the, um, a, a housing market that you, you just can't get into, then yeah, life is bloody tough. And you know, you've got inflation at six percent; it's three times what it should be. It's meant to be between one and three percent. Inflation's six percent. Um, wages are not keeping up with inflation as well. So so um, people aren't getting pay rises that account for the inflation uh, on average. Uh, so, you know, life is hard. You know, food prices up 12% last year, you know, highest on, highest on record. Life is really hard. You know, cost of living crisis is really biting people really hard. And if you do manage to pull a deposit together and, and get into a, a home in your 20s and 30s, um, you're now staring at interest rates that are, you know, again, much, much higher than anyone forecast, you know, three, four years ago. So I, I get contacted probably daily by people who say, you know, look, I was on a fixed rate of 2.5, 2.7, 2. whatever, you know, below three or around three. Mm. Um, now I'm staring at, at refixing, um, you know, at, at six, mm. six and a half, seven. Uh, it's a nightmare. You know, people paying thousands of dollars more per week or, or um, fortnightly or monthly in interest payments. So, you know, I think it is really, really hard and you know, I, I do think it's probably also a driver of uh, migration out of New Zealand. You know, if you're in your 20s and 30s and, you know, there's a lot of lot of push factors out of New Zealand, um, a lot of pull factors from places like Australia, but one of the push factors would be high house prices and the, and the, you know, the rental market really, 
really crunching people. Mm. So, yeah, that's a, another reason why we've got to get housing under control. You've mentioned a lot of changes, you know, in the last 20 minutes so that you would make. Realistically, over a period of time, how quick can you see us turning the ship around? Like, you know, there's a lot of red tape you've got to go through as a party to get all this done. Like, how fast a journey are we going to see change? Yeah, look, I, I want to move quickly. I mean, I, I see housing as one of the most important social issues facing New Zealand. It's, it's an extremely important public policy problem, and we've had 30 years of failure on housing across successive governments, including national ones, by the way. So I, I do want to move quickly. Um, you can't do everything all at once, um, and, you know, I'm wary of over-promising and, and under-delivering because that's... That's what this current government did, you know. Phil Twyford said he had all the answers. You know, he was going to ban Chinese-sounding names from buying property. He was going to, you know, do Kiwi build. He was going to do this and that, the other thing. And then, you know, it was all turned to custard quite quickly, actually. So I don't want to over-promise, but what I do want to make an absolute commitment um, to your listeners is to say, you know, I will work as hard as I can to, to turn this around because I do think housing is one of, if not the most important issue facing the country. It, it contributes to everything. It contributes to our cost of living. It contributes to intergenerational equity. It contributes to inequality, to social exclusion, to poverty. You know, we, you know, we spend a million dollars a day housing New Zealanders in motels. Mm. You know, 6,000 families live in motels. You know, that is a social and economic disaster. It's great for motel owners terrible for the country. Mm. As a government, the, the, the central government spends $4 billion per year on housing subsidies. $4 billion. Bucks. You know, that is it's an enormous sum of money every year. Uh, and so it affects the Crown, it affects people, it affects families, it affects, you know, regions. There's just so many things, so many reasons to try and sort out housing. And so, you know, I'm very determined to make a difference. Awesome. No pressure. <laughs> we'll get you back. Um, now, you're not just housing, but you're spokesperson for infrastructure, RMA, reform, urban development. Talk us through any of your key objectives in these other spaces and areas that you, your party wishes to change when it comes to policies. Yeah, so we've got look, we've got big plans in, in infrastructure, um, and so I've got the privilege of overseeing all of the work we're doing there. Um, you would have seen um, our Transport for the Future policy announced um, last week, which is uh, really exciting. Um, got sort of widely publicised as, oh, we're building roads everywhere. That's, that is true. We, we do want to go on a big uh, road-building spree. Um, one of the things that this government has not done well is build roads uh, and so uh, we, you know, we're going to do projects like Cambridge to Piedity, um, which is one of the most dangerous sections of State Highway we're going to do Otaki to Levin we, you know, here in Auckland uh, we, we want to do the East West Link for example uh, but it's also we announced public transport projects so airport to uh, Botany um, busway mm-hmm. the continuation of the the finishing essentially of the eastern uh, busway. We want to do um, bus rapid transit to the northwest um, of Auckland as well, where you've got huge housing growth, for example. I suppose the major difference between us and Labour is A, we'll be very focused on delivery, and I'm very proud of our track record on things like the Waterview Tunnel, things like the Victoria Park Tunnel. Um, uh, you know, things like the Capital Expressway, you know, Na- National knows how to get stuff done. But also we're very open to private financing and using things like tolls and value capture instruments to pay for some of these new infrastructure projects that the that Auckland needs but also the country needs um, as well. And when it comes to new housing, for example, and this is where housing and infrastructure get linked, is um, we, we want to um, build new state highways. A classic example is State Highway 29, for example, outside Tauranga. Um, that unlocks somewhere between about twenty and 40,000 houses um, as a result of building that state highway. 
clearly there's a lot of landowners um, there who own that land who will benefit from the state highway being there. Um, we want to levy them to help pay for the road in the first place. And our, our simple proposition is that if you get the benefit of central government investment in a new state highway uh, and your land you know, you, you get the benefit of that, you know, through land price and value accretion, um, you should help pay for it. And um, that's a simple proposition and we're going to explore that. Other countries do it, you know, we're, we're miles behind the eight ball in New Zealand on that. So uh, we've got very big infrastructure plans. Um, we want to set up a national infrastructure agency um, and their role will be to um, essentially be a gateway for offshore capital that wants to invest in New Zealand. Um, so I'm thinking about pension funds like uh, Canada, for example, has a pension fund which has talked about investing in New Zealand in the past. Um, there's a lot of uh, you know, private equity offshore that wants to invest in long-lived infrastructure assets in New Zealand, uh, we, and we should be welcoming that. You yeah. know, again, we're miles behind mm. the eight ball on that stuff. You know, we, we're not a wealthy enough country to say no to private and offshore capital. We should be welcoming those investments in New Zealand when it, when it makes sense. And the National Infrastructure Agency will have a job of, of um, commissioning that and, and getting on with it. What's your thoughts on the Hawke's Bay region and, you know, post-flooding and, and, and the offers that have been made in the last week or two? Yeah, not close enough to it to offer an informed view. Um, I mean, there's always going to be back and forth uh, tension between central government and and local government on that. I just really feel for the region. They've been really yeah. gone through the ringer, um, been up there a couple of times. Um, Chris Pink is our spokesperson there. He's doing a really good job dealing with that um, from a opposition point of view and Simeon Brown's there, been there a lot. I know I'm going back in a couple of weeks. Um, we've committed to, um, as part of the rebuild, uh, doing a four-lane expressway from Napier to Hastings. There's an expressway now that's two lanes or two and a half lanes. We want to four-lane it. Um, that's a critical you know, critical resilience piece for the Hawke's Bay. Um, but then there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of just kind of general rebuilding work that needs to happen there and on the East Coast as well, and, and here in Auckland too, actually. Um, so there's no politics in that. You know, we've just got to rebuild, right, um, mm. and, and central government and, and like national Labor and national are on the same page on that. And then are you looking at these housing sort of redevelopments, et cetera, in line with where we're at with our climate and this this weather phenomenon that is certainly changing our view. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think there's a bit of a way to go on that. I mean, the, the, the major problem, as I see it, is that the, we don't have great data mm. and the science, we, you know, we've got the science is clear that, you know, climate change is going to present an increasing risk to New Zealand, and, um, but the, the the data for New Zealand and what that means in terms of decisions around where and how we build is, is not quite there yet. Um, so again, I'm by no means an expert on it, but I think there's a way to go on that. Um, but, you know, there's plenty of land in New Zealand, so we can't, we sort of, I'm wary about people saying, oh, well, you know, climate change, we can't build here, we can't build there. Um, that's going to be true for some areas, but we, we do have to build more housing. Mm. So it's like all things, there's a balance. Just got to get the balance right. Yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. All right, our last part of the show, I'm going to go back to Chris Bishop rather than sure. National Party. And how how will you personally measure success going forward? So you've got you you know in your portfolios, but also you yourself. How do you measure? Ah, oh, that was a successful moment. Well, uh, well, I'll be the first first sort of uh, success measure will be whether or not we win the election. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you know, we 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 you know, national wants to win. Uh, we want to change the government. So, and I've I've also the campaign chair for national. So I've got pretty, you know, pretty big responsibilities there. I mean, the leader's the most important person, obviously, but I sort of um, oversee the the campaign around the country. Um, so you know, I want to win the election. Um, you know, I want to form a former government, um, and you know, I want to get some runs on the board by Christmas. Um, 
will probably Parliament will probably sit for three to four weeks between the the end of the election and then Christmas. Um, so I want to be able to make some progress by Christmas on un- unveiling our plan and then look at the end of the three years. Um, I want to see us make sustained progress on some of the issues I've talked about, mm. so emergency housing, mm. the wait list, rents, um, home afford- home ownership and um, home afford- house affordability for um, New Zealanders. We're not going to be able to solve all of these problems in a year or three years, but I want to see progress towards make them. Make a dent you know, in I want to see yeah. the community housing sector you know, building and housing more people. I want to see... You know, sustained progress on house affordability and and some of those metrics. Um, mm. And the so thing yeah. in your portfolios is that it can be analysed and data is there, so you will yeah, be able oh, to there's, track there's the data, journey. Look, yeah. There's data for Africa. There's <laughs> like there's just endless amounts of data on the infrastructure stuff. I want to see some projects underway. You know? Yeah. Um, I mean, the most amazing thing about the last six years is um, Labor just go around cutting the ribbon on projects that we started, like Transmission Gully, Puhuru Workworth is a classic. You know, great great motorway. Chris Hipkins spent three years or six years actually saying it was a holiday highway and then he turned up and cut the ribbon on it. I couldn't believe it. I was like, the chutzpah. Unbelievable. They didn't, they didn't want, they wanted to cancel it for two elections in a row. So we, we all want to see some pro, pro, projects started. I mean, back down in Wellington, which, um, you know, is obviously my patch. I mean, let's get Wellington moving. It's been a total joke. It's, it's an oxymoron. It's done the opposite of getting Wellington moving. So we want to make some progress there. And um, there's a lot of, lot of projects here in Auckland that we want to get started. I mean, it'd be great to get started on the East West Link in the first three years. You know, connecting State Highway 20 and State Highway 1. Um, you know, we want to make more progress on the Eastern Busway. We want to get started on the Northwest uh, Transit or at least have the planning done for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not, you know, I'm not saying spades in the ground. So we just want to see progress, you know, and start to turn the country around. And our slogan is um, back on track, get the country back on track, because I think most people agree the country's on the wrong track at the moment. So what does this campaign journey look like ahead? When do you sort of switch from, you know, creating the policies and going, actually, now I just need to focus on, on home and, and winning this? Yeah. So, it's all, look, it's it's a journey. Um, Parliament's still, we're in a recess week this week. Parliament's sitting uh, for three weeks um, to, till the end of August, um, and then the House will finish, and that, that's it for the year, the, for, that's it for, you know, for, for this Parliament, basically. And then, basically, 1st of September through to October 14 is the... The campaign, so you know, you'll see the leader on the news every night. The leaders from every party you're out and about doing meet and greets and kissing babies and doing more walks and public meetings and that sort of stuff. But look, to be honest, we've been campaigning pretty hard already. Mm. I mean, Chris Luxon's done like 50 back on track uh, meetings around the country. I've done about seven on myself in Auckland. Nicola Willis has done a lot, um, and we're getting good crowds at the meetings. Like he had 500 people in Cambridge the other day. He had to turn turn a couple of hundred people away. Oh. So we've kind of been on the road for a while, um, and it's just about the building of intensity. You know, the signs, the campaign signs go up this weekend, August the 12th, um, so that that's when people start to notice it. So it's two months two months to go this weekend. So it's when the signs go up that a lot of, you know, a lot of people go, oh, yeah, man, there's an election on. It's coming about up, yeah, that. yeah, yeah. You know, so um, I think you'll see a building of intensity and, and you know, I, mean, I don't get a lot of sleep now to start with, to be honest, but um, probably get even less in the next <laughs> couple of months, but that's okay. I signed up for it. It's all good. Yeah. What's been your own career highlight to date? What would be, you know, if you stamped one moment? Oh, uh, well, I mean, I have, I've never served as a minister in government, so I can't point to any, any you know, kind of I did that in government type moments. Mm. Um, winning Hutt South um, in 2017. Hutt South's never been held by National before till I won it in 17. Um, always been a Labour seat, always held by Trevor Mallard. So, you know, that was that was awesome. And I'm you know, keen to do that again. Um 
this is something about representing your your home community and, and standing up for them in Parliament that is very satisfying. So that, that was cool. I had a member's bill um, passed through into law in my first term, which... Oh, it's a long story, but basically it, it means that if you're an organ donor, you get much more compensation um, for uh, donating a kidney. Um, so you basically you won't, you're not financially out of pocket if you donate a kidney um, to someone. Um, the, the law used to be that you got the sickness benefit. My bill changed it so that you basically had 14 weeks or 12 to 14 weeks of what you were earning before. The right. government would pay that. Uh, so that was that was that was awesome, and, and I get an email every now and then from people who say, "I know you did that, yeah. and, and I donated a kidney, and I couldn't have done it without that." So that's that's quite humbling. That's mm. satisfying. It's nothing to do with any of my portfolios now. So, yeah, um, is that hard yeah. having portfolios changing? Yeah, like you yeah. sort of get your teeth into one, and then something happens, and yeah, you know, I mean, I, look, switch. I think it's 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 been good in that sense. It's made me a more rounded MP. I mean, when I first became an MP, I did that just as a a local constituent suggested that to me in my first term of parliament and so I put that through so I know, I know a bit about kidney donation now <laughs> um, I was our spokesperson for police and, and youth um, for a while and I, so I know a little bit about that which has been good and I served on I think um, I served on six different committees I was a COVID spokesperson for two years mm. I didn't even mention that so I know more about COVID than I probably um, would have even wanted to know so um, all these things Make you more rounded, right? Um, and and that's quite good. So I do, you know, I quite, I've got, I've got interest in public law and constitutional law. I'm interested in justice issues, interested in the law and how it works, but also really interested in housing, transport, infrastructure, um, broad the, the broader economy mm. as well. Um, I was on the I was the chair of the finance committee for uh, a year. I served on the FEC um, finance venture committee um, for three years. Um, so interest in the broader economy and tax and fiscal settings and stuff like that. So, yeah, look, I, I've got lots of different interests. Nice. I'll just try and make a difference, you know. Yeah. Who's inspired you over the years? Uh, my mum and dad. You know, I've learned a lot from mum and dad. You know, um, they're just amazing people. Um, yeah. Uh, politically, um, really look up to Bill English. Um, okay. You know, he... You know, as a as a guy, you know, a long career, um, but you know, an outstanding minister of finance um, for New Zealand from from '08 um, through to through to '16 before he became prime minister. And you know, again, I do the contrast with what we have now, where you know we, we were able to progressively improve public services um, at a time of, of fiscal restraint um, and do more with less. And Bill drove that as minister of finance and. Um, I think it's a real tragedy, actually, that he didn't get a chance to be Prime Minister for another three years. Mm. I think he would have been outstanding Prime Minister. So, you know, Bill, um, you know, I, I look um, rhetorically, you know, uh, this will surprise a few people, but, uh, you know, in terms of parliamentary skill, I, I look back on a guy like David Longy, who yeah. was flawed. Yep. But we're all flawed. But um, his, his wit, his humour, his verve, his debate skills were amazing. Paul Keating is someone I look up to a lot. Um, in Australia, um, former Australian Prime Minister, changed Australia for the better, you know, um, nine years as Treasurer, the yeah. equivalent of finance, and then Prime Minister for um, for four and a half, five. Um, hugely long career. So, yeah, those are the people I look up to. 
Well, Chris, we are out of time, but I absolutely appreciate you giving time to stop and to Planet FM today and to have a chat to us Thanks on Property Matters. Um, good luck with the next few months Thank ahead. You. Stay Ho- well, stay healthy. Hopefully talk to you after the election. And, uh, well, we definitely check in and see if, you know, you're, you're measuring the success on those journeys. There's lots ahead, um, but all the best. Thank uh, thanks so much for listening, and if you've got something you'd like us to chat about, email us at propertymatters at barfoot.co.nz. We'll look forward to catching you again next Monday. Remember, you can check out all our podcasts on Spotify or wherever you like to listen to them. Have a fabulous week. Stay safe. Catch you next week.